Our scripture today comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 37, verses 1 through 8. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. This is the word of our Lord. Waiting doesn't come natural to us, does it? We, uh, of all things in life, don't enjoy the wait. Some of you this morning have come into this place with some great difficulty. Some are watching online from a bedside or perhaps you're in quarantine. You are wondering about what is next. You don't know the future. None of us does. And so we find ourselves again and again in places of uncertainty, in places of great difficulty, in places of fear. And the question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in those places? I grew up in Tennessee and... Um, I lived way back in the woods, uh, so much so that there, uh, where my grandmother's house sits, there are two mountains, and so when you sit on her front porch, you don't look out. That isn't possible. You look up. You can't look out and see anything. You can only look up and see the next mountain in front of you. There is a cliff on that mountain that is called the Raven's Cliff. I'm not sure why it's called that. It is a large, uh, hewn-out place of stone, and it just goes across the top of the mountain. My mom tells me there are caves inside the Raven Cliff. And the story goes from my mom's grandmother, who is a Willis and lived in the Willis Cove, so that was Willisville, I guess, that, that during the Civil War, soldiers ran into that cliff and hid inside those caves. The reason I share that is because in a picture uh, or a metaphorical way in the Old Testament to trust is that. It is to hide for refuge. On my sabbatical, I set out to study the word trust. And as I did, I had a hypothesis that there are two phrases in the Old Testament, trust and trust in. And that perhaps those two phrases are two separate words in the Hebrew for trust. Well, my hypothesis was wrong. 
in that sense, but right in the sense that there are two words in the Old Testament for trust. One is the most often used word, and it means to hide for refuge. The other is quite similar but more intense, and it means to run into for refuge. One implies a daily habit, a regular rhythm. You hide or trust in God. The other implies there is something going on in your life that is dramatic and difficult, and you especially need him to run to for refuge. So today we'll begin a sermon series that will lead us all the way to December. And this series is on trust. How do we trust God? Uh, today I'll hope to define it from God's word in Psalm 37, and then we'll go into the life of Hezekiah, that king who is known, his epitaph is the king who trusted in the Lord. That's how Hezekiah is known. His life is rather remarkable. We'll be so inspired and encouraged by Hezekiah's trust in uncertain times. But before we launch into his life, uh, we'll look at what trust means. Psalm 37 is an acrostic, meaning it is a poem written with the uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet beginning each stanza, or in English, it's every other verse. And so it's very well designed. It is written by David, but if you look in your Bibles, you'll find something interesting. Almost always when David talks about his psalms, he will say a psalm of David to uh, the choir master or to whoever it may be according to, and it will be a musical term. Psalm 37 has none of that. It simply says of David. And so David identifies himself as the writer of the psalm, but doesn't give us any indication that he is writing officially for the worship team, for the worship leaders. Uh, secondly, in this psalm, David does not address God. David talks to the people. And so Psalm 37 is a gift to you from God by the pen of David. It is written to uh, David's audience, but for us today, and it is from this psalm that we are going to learn what it looks like to trust God. So because of these details of the psalm, uh, scholars believe that the psalm was written later in David's life, maybe in the last three years of his life. If that is so, King David is now aged. He remembers back when he was a teenager and faced a lion and faced a bear as a shepherd boy. King David remembers uh, when he was uh, taking lunch to his brothers out in the field and engaged Goliath, that Philistine who was taunting the army. And he faced him with a sling and a stone and saw him just come crashing down. And then Apple Music went wild with a new song. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his what? Ten thousands. 
Samuel went looking for a new king because Saul was falling apart. And Samuel went looking for a new king. And when he did, he found uh, David, this shepherd boy, out in the field and anointed him king. Uh, anointed him king. But for seven years, David fled, ran for his life. Uh, from maybe as he writes this psalm, he's thinking of caves in which he dwelled and fears that at times gripped him as the psalms say they do. And then he becomes king, and when he does, he has one particular job. He's a warrior king. He expands and extends Israel's borders to where God promised Abraham they would be. That had never happened before. As a matter of fact, King David shed so much blood that he couldn't build that beautiful temple. Or perhaps he looks back on the dark chapter of his life. When he looked off his roof and saw a woman bathing and sent for her and uh, committed adultery. And when in so doing, he had her husband killed and eventually a year or so later was called out by Nathan the prophet and confessed that, public, that sin publicly. Wherever it was in King David's life, he had, if this is written late, a wealth of uh, material to think about what it looks like to trust in God. And I'm just guessing this morning from conversations I've had this week and texts that have come through my phone and just by the mere fact that I know you folks, that you are in a place where you need to trust God with something you're there too. How? Three practices from Psalm 37. Number one, delight in the Lord. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Well, until I studied this, I thought fret meant to worry. That's how we tend to use the word these days. But the word fret literally means to get hot, become angry. To get hot, to become angry. Uh, David writes, don't get heated because evil abounds. At times, evildoers seem to be winning, don't they? At times, uh, it seems they have the upper hand. And nowadays, more than any, we have a platform that, that, that we're able to uh, uh, vent on, aren't we? We go to social media. We make a post. We, uh, we put our opinions out. It seems that uh, we have developed a, a whole way of communicating, and we feel if the person isn't right there in front of us, we can say anything we want. We're bold behind a screen and wimps in front of people. It's become the norm, hasn't it? But David writes, fret not yourself. Because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? For they will soon wither. They'll fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. In other words, evil is short-lived and good is eternal. That's what David is saying. Evil is short-lived. Evil has a shelf life. 
and good is eternal. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So trust in the Lord, David writes. Do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. That word befriend, if you were to put together a group of, uh, uh, of translations and look at the word befriend, you would discover it's all over the map. Uh, 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 translators so struggle with this word. Here's my favorite. Feed on God's faithfulness. Feed on God's faithfulness. If, if, uh, if I'm a sheep in the pasture of God, then what the grain is that is growing in the pasture is his faithfulness. And every single day, if he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul, I can feed on his faithfulness. His faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. This word delight is, uh, requires a deliberate redirect of one's emotions. A deliberate redirect of one's emotions. It means that delighting in God doesn't come naturally for us. We tend to dwell on our circumstances rather than delighting in God, don't we? That's what we tend to do, dwell on our circumstances rather than delighting in God. New Testament example, uh, one of the best. Paul is in Philippi. He is uh, preaching there and God's working. Lydia has come to faith and others have come to faith. Uh, uh, it's an amazing work that God is doing, and a slave girl begins to follow Paul and Silas around and taunt them, and, and then eventually say they're, they're, they belong to God. They're legit. So much so that Paul can't take it anymore. He turns around, he casts the demons out of her, and she is converted to Christianity. And when she's converted to the faith, then those who own her get angry. They drag Paul and Silas into the middle of the city, and they beat them with rods. Strip off their clothes and beat them with rods. Paul and Silas then are dragged to the jail and thrown in the jail uh, in stocks. No word of their clothes having been put back on. Their legs are spread apart. That's a mild torture just being in the stocks, in the jail. And along about midnight with their backs bleeding and whelked from the beating, uh, along about midnight with them having no food and matted blood now on, Paul and Silas are sitting in the inner jail because they're uh, supposed to be locked up just a tad tighter than the rest. When I don't know if it was Paul or I don't know if it was Silas, but when we get to heaven, we can find out. One of them looked at the other and said, why don't we sing a song? <laughs> Come thou fount of every blessing and to my heart to sing thy praise. Blood matted on their backs, feet stuck in the stocks, all for preaching the gospel, all for doing the right thing. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. 
and an earthquake hits. And when it does, lo and behold, the stocks come off and Paul and Silas are free to go. And the Philippian jailer, knowing, knowing he'll lose his own life if he loses his uh, prisoners, what does he do? He grabs his sword. He's ready to fall on it. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. We're all, we're, we're right here. Don't do that. And he leads him and his whole family to Christ. In that day, the jailer and, and his whole family are saved. Why? Because Paul and Silas did a deliberate delight in the Lord. I just wonder, church, I really wonder these days when opinions abound and when people are so frustrated and when so many ways that uh, things you can rant about, what if one day you got up and decided, you know, today I think I'll delight in the Lord. I think I will delight in the God of my salvation. It could be that God would bring about a great revival. It could be that boys and girls and moms and dads and brothers and sisters would come to faith in Christ. Why? Because they'd look and see you in the middle of craziness and you are fine. Your delight is in the Lord. You see, we need a but as for me decision. Micah, I'll read the whole passage. It's rather lengthy, 7, 1 through 7. But if you think it's bad for you, listen to Micah. He says, woe is me. All right, let's be real. Let's be real right now. This is a place to be real. How many of you have felt woe is me at some point this week? Just raise your hand. Yep, look around the room. It's this life, isn't it? At some point this week, you've wondered, really, can anything else go wrong? Could anything else? Well, listen to Micah. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been cleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. What is he saying? I drove all the way to Asheville to Krispy Kreme. Not only was the hot sign off, but they had run out of donuts. There's no fruit. There's no fig. There's no nothing. He says, the godly has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among mankind. Is that true? No. There, there's some godly people. But that's how Micah feels, isn't it? There's no one upright. They all lie and wait for blood and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. I mean, at every level, there's corruption, he's saying. Thus, they weave it together. They're all, it, it, this is what we call a conspiracy. They're all in it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is a thorn hedge. Wow. Everybody around me is just briars and thorn hedges. I mean, it's just a bunch of blackberry vines. That's all it is with no blackberries. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Look at this. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. What is he saying? Don't trust your neighbor. Don't trust your friend. Don't trust your wife. That's a bad day. For the son treats the father with contempt. So don't trust him. The daughter rises up against her mother. Don't trust her. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We knew that well before Micah wrote this. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. 
That's a bad day. Look at the next phrase. Let's read it all together a little deliberately. But as for me. Wow. That's a call to repentance for some of you. But as for me, I will look to the, to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will what? Do you need a but as for me moment this morning? Do you need a deliberate, direct uh, change in your attitude? Delight in yourself in the Lord, David writes, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How in the world does that work? All of a sudden, when you delight in the Lord, your desires line up with his, don't they? He will give you the desires of your heart. Secondly, commit your way to the Lord. The word commit. Let me read the, the five and six. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. To commit is to roll away from oneself. It's, it's a great word picture bound up in one simple word in Hebrew. So it's to roll away. It means you have to release. You can't commit a thing unless you roll it away from yourself. That's the, the picture. We could go yesterday. I was watching the Florida-Alabama game. Alabama's amazing, right? They never lose, but they were close. Two-point game. Actually, it was an eight-point eight margin. Florida scored. Now it's a two-point margin, and they're going to go for a two-point conversion, tie up this game down in the swamp in Florida, right? Anthony Richardson, that quarterback from Florida, what he's going to do is hand the ball off to his running back. And the running back is going to take the ball, and Anthony Richardson's going to go right behind his running back. And, and basically, they're going to push into the end zone. But something happened. If you go back and watch that play, I don't know if Anthony Richardson thought that the running back couldn't handle the handoff or maybe wouldn't get the ball in. He never let go of the ball. And the two of them, one has one hand and such on the ball and the other has another, and they both just fall down right there. Play didn't get anywhere. And Alabama won. This is how we tend to do life with the Lord, isn't it? We have these things, we have these problems, we have these worries, we have these fears, and we know he is, and God forgive me, the ultimate running back. Like, we know that. We know there's not an end zone he can't penetrate. We know there's not a, a score he can't make. We know that. But for some reason, we do the handoff and the take back and the handoff and the take back and the handoff and the take back. And then we get plowed by some old lineman somewhere, and we wonder why. And some of you who are listening to me online and some of you who are listening to me in the room have never, ever in your life handed the ball off to the Lord. Oh, you've lived in this uh, illusion of control all your life. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior with your sins and your successes, with your failures and your accomplishments. You've never handed your life to the Lord in trust. And your first step is that. 
nothing I'm preaching will be effective until you've said, I surrender all to you. I trust you as my Savior. A couple weeks on First Wednesday, we'll baptize more new believers. And these believers that we'll baptize are those who have said, oh, Jesus here, I, I, I give myself to you. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. These are synonyms. So we see that trusting God is a change in attitude and action. This week at Life Group, you'll, you'll be asked to talk about something. So just say in prep and pray that you struggle to give to the Lord. And in that group of godly people, you'll have an opportunity to do that right there. Trust him. Clearly, David is referring to, uh, referring to unfair treatment, and I think that's the hardest because he says God will bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. To be treated unfairly and not bite back, not retaliate, not say your peace. Years ago, I, I was mentored for a, a good while by a great pastor, Paul Aldergren. And he taught me something that stuck deep in me. He said, Jerry, your reputation is not your responsibility. Your integrity is. In other words, I'm not out to elevate myself for any reason at all. Just live and let God take charge of that. You say, that seems so foreign. Everybody has their speakers and their spins, and they, they turn things to make themselves look good, and everybody watching knows better. We're not ignorant. We watch it and go, you're kidding yourselves. The lie, a change of attitude, commit a change of action. And the final practice of trust in the Lord is to be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This, for many of us, is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? And if you're a type A-driven person, I, I've met a couple of those in my life. This is especially hard. How do you be still before God when everything in you says, move forward, act? How do you wait? in that moment. There are two realities in real life that I think help me get this. One is a crying baby who's hungry. Any, any mom in here especially, you, your babies when they're little, uh, they get hungry and uh, they want a bottle. And when they do, a good mom doesn't freak out. I, I've just noticed and I've observed good moms and uh, it's quite at times entertaining but also reassuring. Uh, baby's screaming and mom's like, oh, oh, she wants some milk. 
And a good mom will get up from whatever she's doing and go to prepare the milk and get it warm and get it ready. And the baby's screaming like it's the end of the world. And a good mom will go, oh, she wants milk. She, th this mom just doesn't get rattled. She's not freaking out. Why? Because babies needed milk plenty of times before. Mama's provided milk plenty of times before. It's just happened. And so the, the mom will just go over, get the milk ready, baby screaming. Mom unaffected by baby screaming and, and put the bottle in the baby's mouth. And the baby's quiet. And the mom just seems unflappable. Why? Well, she's heard a screaming baby before. Um, could, could I just put something forward to you today? Whatever it is that you're struggling to hand off, I'm just guessing God's heard before. Uh, something just occurs to me that that it's not unique to, to his ears. We use great words, and we should, to describe God. He is omnipotent, so he's never been scared. He is omniscient, so he's never wondered about anything. He is omnipresent, meaning he's never gotten in a hurry. Why? Well, if you're everywhere at all times, no need to get in a hurry, right? He's all kinds of names in the Old Testament. He's El Roi, the God who sees. He's never been caught off guard. He's El Elyon, God most high. Everything in life is under him. None of it is over him. He is El Olam, uh, the everlasting God. He's never aged. He's as good as he always was, and he is as good as he always will be. He's God. So you can bring whatever it is to him knowing he's got it, that it is in his hands. Um, David says, wait patiently. That phrase means to wait longingly. Longingly, wait patiently is to wait longingly. That's the second image I have in my mind that helps me get this. If you've ever been uh, to the airport and either you were doing this or there was someone else doing it, you'll know. A mom or a dad or both whose son is finishing his first stint in the military. And he's coming home. Or whose daughter is coming home. You'll see them over by the luggage place, right, where they can first see uh, someone. And it's like if they could reverse through the uh, TSA station, they would. And if they had their wish, that plane would have landed yesterday, wouldn't it? And as people walk through, they, 
it's not that they don't care about all the people walking through, but they really don't care about all the people walking through. There's one, and they're looking for him. What's interesting is if they had their way, their son, their daughter's plane would have landed hours ago. And what they most likely never think about is at that airport is an air traffic controller. And his job or her job is to land planes in order. That's their job. And when planes land in order, planes land safely. And if they do not, people die. But that mom doesn't think about that, does she? No. I want to see my son. To wait longingly is to wait not for your son, but for the air traffic controller who is going to get your son to you safely. If somehow we can in life lift our eyes up above the fear the worry, the doubt, the concern, the dread, and see that there is an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who lands planes in his own time and on that right landing strip so that people get home safely and with joy in the journey, everything in our perspective changes. Fret not yourself three times in this passage. Don't get heated over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. That sounds rather specific, doesn't it? Some of you have someone or a situation that's running through your mind right this minute. <laughs> and and you, you're like that person who was cut off on the interstate. You were going the speed limit. That person cut you off. And you're prayed that you'll see him again with blue lights behind him. That's how you feel right now, right? You got that person... Justice. I want justice, right? I want something to happen. I want something to happen. And when you drive by and, and, and once in a blue moon that happens, you're like, ah, I told you so. Some of you are more in a high-profile way thinking that way. That's the challenge, right? That's the problem. So here's what I wonder, and, and I wonder because we don't know. King David, toward the end of his life, had an awful turn of events. He had a boy named Absalom. And he decided he wanted to be king in David's place. 
and he staged a coup. And he marshaled his own troops and marched into Jerusalem and ousted his own dad, David fled so fast that he didn't take time to put his shoes on. He went out, most likely the eastern gate, down into the Kidron Valley, up. It's a steep ravine. And up and over toward the Mount of Olives, toward Bethany. Some men went with him, warriors, barefoot, went David and weeping. He got to a certain place. There was a man there who began to heckle him and hurled insults at him and then picked up rocks and began to throw them. And one of King's David, King David's men said, let me at him. I'll take him out. And King David said, no. Maybe it is that I need to hear what he has to say. And he wept and he walked as he left an aged barefoot ousted king so let's listen to these verses refrain from anger Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. I was in Jerusalem a few years ago there is a significant bridge that I could look out my hotel room and see. The bridge looks like a harp, the one played by King David. Not many people name their kids Absalom today, do they? But there are quite a few Davids around. Lord. trust. Oh my goodness, we struggle with it. I think, Lord, especially in this country where we can do so much for ourselves and we have this illusion of control that perhaps our finances give us or perhaps our place in the world gives us or perhaps, Lord, our accomplishments give us. Oh, today, 
today. May we begin on a journey over the next few weeks of learning what it means to trust you. Oh, for grace to trust you more. In your name we pray.